Putting the pieces together with Jigsaw Learning focuses on stories from the field as leaders implement collaborative response. Join us every month as we invite our partners to share how they are meeting the diverse needs of students with the integral understanding that every child deserves a team. Welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. Curtis, Lorna, and I are joined today by Trevor Van Someren and Aaron Weimer from Clear Vista School in Wetaskin Regional Pop Schools. So hi, guys. Nice to see you. Hello. Hi. Good to see you. Hey, Trevor. Hi, Trevor hey. and Aaron. So I don't know who wants to jump in on this and share the, the background, but I hear some stories about three-piece suits coming from your guys' school. <laughs> Three-piece suits, hey? Uh, at, at times, uh, when, the, when the time is right, sometimes you gotta, you gotta dress for success, for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have been known, I, I like a Cliff Barnes-style suit from Dallas. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not every day. Actually, most days, I, I would say probably I don't wear a tie anymore, and Aaron's not typically one for a tie. But uh, yeah, um, you, you want to put your best foot forward, for sure. That always struck me, Trevor, when we come to these days and you'd look over and, oh my goodness, I, I thought I kind of dressed appropriately for the day, but this guy is the most well-dressed person in the room. He's a little jealous of your closet. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know, I own one three-piece suit, so I've, I've only worn it a couple of times, so I feel like uh, it's uh I've I've got Trevor to tone it down just a little bit. <laughs> just you, you got to meet in the balance, middle. Right? Yeah. Balance. There's been no Hawaiian shirts worn by me though, as anyone likes to. Wear. <laughs> so we've been trying to put out a question uh, here to a number of our guests that we've been bringing on in our most recent episodes, and that is if you had to describe collaborative response to a colleague that's unfamiliar with the work, what would you say? What how would you go about describing that to? Uh, another principal who's hasn't really engaged in in learning or understanding collaborative response sure yeah um i would say collaborative response uh is a blend together of responding through intervention and professional learning communities um and you know the puzzle piece mentality where the pieces are coming together but they're not standalone they interlocked and overlap with each other uh, where you've got staff working together they're talking about uh consistency in what their you know their tier one instruction is uh combined with you know the real shift to tiering responses uh in terms of you know you know you're you're tiering your responses you're not tiering students individual students it's kind of mm -hmm you know, an efficient, structured way at looking at supporting students and keeping students right at the heart, um, I think is is kind of why uh, collaborative responses has been such an impactful process. Aaron, is there anything that you would add to that if you were trying to describe that to, to a colleague? Well, and for me, I think the biggest um, benefit is the structure it provides in terms of when you're going to have uh, certain discussions. So one of the things that when I first got into like public education was you go into a classroom and I started at a rural school and there was no, there was no real way to support each other or even get resources from other teachers or learn what best practices even are. It's like you're starting all over again. And every time you start a new course, it was the same thing, which teaching has been around for a long time. There's lots of information there we should be sharing. And it provides a structure of, okay, so during these meetings, this is when we're gonna talk about best pedagogy in terms of what's happening in the classroom. During these meetings, then we're gonna focus on students and what we need to do to support them. And then in these meetings, we're going to talk about students who require that extra support, those kids that you usually end up talking about for hours and hours every week. Well, we're not going to have those meetings every week with this group of people. It's focused. It's here. We're going to come up with a plan, and then we're going to see how that plan works. And then we're not going to rehash everything um, a second or third time through just because it's the easiest conversation to have, right? It's easy to talk about that one student who has all the barriers as opposed to those students who have some barriers, but they seem to be doing okay. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate the structure and even like the templating of um, like meeting structure. This is when we're gonna talk about celebrations. This is where I talk about our first issue. And these are the kids that we want to address and find a way to get them to meet that learning outcome. So the structure piece has been great. So, Cause for professional learning communities, I feel like 
Um, we've been doing professional learning communities as an organization for a while, and the structure that collaborative response provides um, kind of gets those meetings from the, sometimes they'd be spinning their wheels, right? You weren't sure what the purpose of the conversation was. Mm -hmm. This way you're not spinning your wheels with that conversation. Yeah, I love that, Aaron, that that idea of clearly defining each of the teams that you have in your school and what their purpose is so that mm -hmm. we can make sure that we're meeting the needs of all of our kids across the building, but also that every team that comes together knows exactly what it is that we're doing when we come together and uh, and how we're going to move through using that those processes too. <laughs> in terms of directing staff as well, like we'll have, there'll be that impromptu conversation in the hallway and there'll be a, a teacher who's like, this kid, I, I, they've been driving me nuts for weeks. So I'm like, have you recommended them to our student support team meeting? No, I'm like, you should probably do that because then we're gonna have a full 45 minutes for that kid and we know exactly what that means about. It's gonna be about that kid and we all know going in as opposed to that kid kind of taking over the meeting and three people being there saying, well, I don't even see that kid, I don't, right? So it, it really helps focus when that dedicated time is happening. So for us, I think that's been one of the one of the big successes for collaborative response. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah, like I would say, um, you know, we, we had a lot of, um, I don't wanna say false starts, but a lot of things where we would try and incorporate where staff were saying, we wanna be involved. We don't wanna feel left out of the loop in terms of supporting student needs. And so the year before that, we uh, brought in the collaborative response model, we had moved to bringing our whole team together. And at the time we were calling them student support team meetings and we'd get, get together after school and we'd um, you know, try and everybody problem solve on one or two you know, really um, high needs students. And man, we're banging our heads against the wall because it ends up becoming not positive, not productive when you can pull that into a student support team meeting, as we call it now, uh, and we hit that every, you know, every day three is when we have it before school and uh, teachers can refer in and, and slide in before class even starts, but we're not asking them to come in at, you know, 6.30 in the morning, right? And they're able to access, you know, your family school liaison worker, your indigenous support worker, principal, vice principal, inclusion coach, um, you know, your, your reading specialist within the school school uh, and you can really focus and problem solve together and try some things and then maybe bring that back and check in and see how it goes. It gives an opportunity to free up when you get to that collaborative team meeting and you've got everybody together, you can actually look at setting some attainable goals in a safe environment where people are free to, to kind of take some risks. So, uh, so that has been an absolute uh, game changer, the structure that's been provided there. Setting that dedicated time that everyone knows when it's happening and that they can bring forward students mm -hmm. and being able to access the, those additional supports that you have in your school, that's, mm -hmm. that's huge because otherwise you do have teachers just trying to problem solve on their own, not really sure about, you know, who can actually help me with this, but, but really being clear about those structures is is really important for teachers and, and for their well-being, but also for the success of our students too. So Aaron, you've talked about clearly defining the different teams and their purpose. And Trevor, you started to talk about some of the structures like your school support team meeting every day three at 8.15. What are the other structures in your school around the, the layers of teams? Who's at them? When do they happen? That kind of thing. We, we piggybacked right off the, the collaborative response model. We were looking for consistency across our schools in our district and both Aaron and myself were part of, as our leadership team, we were part of the original uh, collaborative response guiding coalition. So uh, this, is a, this has been an area of uh, excitement for both of us uh, to try and implement um, and stay as, as close to the model as we can uh, in terms of the structure. So we have uh, student support team meetings, as I mentioned, on day threes. We rotate, we're um, a larger K-8 school within the context of our division, kind of an average-sized school within, you know, what would be a, a bigger city setting. Uh, but we have uh, two uh, teachers at each grade, basically from kindergarten all the way up to grade eight. Uh, so we have collaborative team meetings. We've got a kindergarten to grade two group. Uh, they will end up meeting basically once every four to 
five weeks. We have a grade three, four collaborative team. Uh, they will meet, uh, same deal, just kind of rotates. It's typically Thursdays after school. Aaron and I are at all of those and we rotate through. So every Thursday after school, we know we've got that meeting set on the calendar. Uh, we've got a five, six team, and then we have a seven, eight team. Uh, and so as part of those teams would be the two homeroom teachers, uh, the education assistant or assistants that are also part of that team. Uh, and then we would uh, also have our inclusion coach uh, that would also be part of that team. Most of our collaborative team meetings are um, academic focused. Uh, we've, we've really made a shift to moving um, so that we're really either numeracy or literacy focused. And uh, that's typically known in advance. We've got a data piece that we're looking at that's known and decided where we're using that to try and drive the discussion. That's been our, our shift that we've been uh, uh, really trying to make this year. Uh, so that's the collaborative team meetings. We also have collaborative planning meetings. Now, those are just for the great partners. Uh, Aaron and I, honestly, we're, we're not really at those. We're aware of them. We, we have been invited to take part in them. Those are kind of take place uh, within the span of the the two grade partner schedules, whether it's before after school, whatever works for them in the span of two weeks, they would have met, you know, 45 minutes and they are working on, you know, whether it's common, common formative assessments or they're uh, co-planning together uh, and they share back those collaborative planning things that's in, incorporated. They share that back at our regular collaborative team meetings. Um, and so in the span of that collaborative team meeting, we also have a spot within it where we can also name, hey, actually we do have a student that's in red. We're gonna flag that and we wanna have that student uh, get picked up at our next student support team meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, case consult meetings don't happen super frequently at Clear Vista. Those are uh, typically where we would bring in, um, you know, typically one of our uh, director team members, um, whether it would be uh, Jody Matia or Christian Holpe coming in, and we need some, some division support for that. Those would be kind of more on a tier four basis uh, where we've got a student that's really emergent, whether it might be a crisis concern or, you know, we're needing support from uh, educational uh, psych assessment or something along those lines. In order for us to access the, that within our district, we have to have um, talked about it at a school level at a student support team meeting, which for us, we have them, you know, once a week for sure. Sometimes it's even working out to twice a week where we're uh, meeting on a student support team level. So those are kind of the basic levels and kind of structure uh, for how we're meeting them. What we have been shifting to a little bit this year is we've been having um, kind of moving some of those Thursday afternoon meetings. We've actually ended up sliding some of them onto our uh, professional learning days uh, where whether it would be uh, weather factors or sickness or whatever it might be where you've got multiple members of the team is absent, you have to be flexible to say, you know what, doesn't make sense to meet today. It is important that, that we meet, but we're going to just uh, pick this up on a professional learning uh, day instead. And we so had great plans in September, but the nice thing is we've been able to change and modify those plans as the year has gone on. And Clever's response is flexible enough that you can do that, right? So we were hoping to have meetings every Thursday. And then as we started seeing, well, those, we have leadership team meetings on Thursday. So that's not always going to work. We might not be back in time. And then, so knowing at least what the, the fact that we know the, what the meeting is going to be about and that teachers are kind of informed on, this is going to be our area of focus for that 45 minutes. If it gets pushed back a week or whatever, it, it's fine. Like the, the, the meetings are still, we want the meetings to be effective and we want teachers to know that their time is being valued when we're, when we're engaged in that process. So that's been the, the, the part that we've really been working on this year is making sure that we're um, keeping teachers, teachers engaged in um, that the, the, their time is being usefully used, right? That they're getting value out of the meetings. And so even as they start um, or deciding what their, what their actions are going to be, what their measures are going to be, uh, following up and saying, okay, so is this really what we're going to be doing? Um, even like a week or two weeks before we have that next CTM meeting, we want to check in and say, okay, so this is what you said you were going to do. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to try it? Is it effective? Is it something you can be, are you going to be, can you speak it to it next meeting, right? So that others can hear whether or not what you said was successful or, or not successful. I really like um, what you've described too of your involvement as administrators intensifies as the conversation about the student intensifies that, you know, we can set up some structures and help 
help put some expectations for the collaborative planning time, but we're not going to be there to dictate or manage that conversation. But when we get to those escalating conversations, we're going to be deeply involved as administrators because it's going to take some further coordination and supports that go beyond the classroom. I think that's that's really the power of those layering of teams is, again, understanding each has a different purpose, our involvement shifts and changes, and the intensity about a student increases as we move through those layers. I think what I've learned through this process is our role as administrators is really to be supportive and to provide resources. So I can't fix every problem myself. There's, there's probably too many problems. And I'm not in the classroom anymore. Um, and so learning to step back and be like, okay, so this is an issue with a student. This is what we want to do to try and support them. How can I help you support the student in the classroom? Yeah. Right? As opposed yeah, to rather than that handoff. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to, okay, I'm going to take the kid back to the office, we'll hang out for a little bit, I'll help them with, you know, a subject, and we'll, because we can't do that for, like, that's two, three kids, we, we need to support more than just two or three kids by ourselves, right, so mm -hmm. that has been, that's been a learning process for me, is, is being able to let go of that, um, I get directly seeing how a student's doing and saying, okay, this is, how can I help you support the student, and how are you going to let me know that it's working or not working? Mm -hmm. And you know what, Aaron, that really speaks to empowering your teachers, that you're, you're turning things back to them, you're supporting them, but you're turning things yeah, back to the teachers approach. so that yeah. they can be empowered to do the work with that student, but with others as well. One of the, uh, you know, the areas that we're still working on, um, and I don't know, maybe we've been struggling a little bit is, is exactly with what Aaron's talking about is, trying to build that continuum of supports so that it is a kind of a shared ownership. So it's not, I'm bringing a student forward for you to solve the problem for me to be the support as opposed to, you know, when you have those really good discussions um, uh, and you're able to name some key issues and you start getting people to pull things together, like, wait a second, I think we have actually solved some problems where a student is struggling with number sense. We've we've solved some of these problems where a student is, is struggling with attendance or connection, right? And so what were some of the things we tried on that? Because we've got a really strong room here. We've got a really skilled team. Uh, and then it's just kind of saying, well, can we come in and try that? Um, I think there's some real opportunities in the power of the room and that ownership um, to really focus on the positive. Uh, so that's been something as we're, you know, trying to build that continuum of supports um, you know, it would be nice if, if we, you know, had it kind of magically, you know, cataloged a little bit more, but you get kind of within the moment of the, of the meeting, mm -hmm. um, you know, what was really impactful for me was not being here to participate in the last round of meetings in December, because I was working out of another school with us recording them. And for me to sit back and watch the recording and see, you know, the powerful conversations that occurred, you know, Aaron did a phenomenal job of facilitating um, and, and just seeing that powerful conversation as they go through the key issues. Me as a school leader, seeing that uh, is, is really awesome to, to go through and see like, wow, uh, there's some, some real things that, uh, that we're hitting here uh, with the strength of the, the staff. Well, and it really is honoring, it's really about honoring the expertise that you have in your building. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. you, you've also pointed to Trevor, that idea that through collaborative response, there's always going to be the next piece to tackle, refine, mm -hmm. and especially that continuum of supports. We often have schools saying, you know, we've made our continuum, now what? Well, <laughs> you're continually making that continuum in a sense because it's evolving it's changing you know Aaron's attended a PD session and come back with a really great strategy okay well where does that fit in our continuum how do we catalog this better could we start attaching resources to yeah. this so that it just becomes more of a powerful resource to help support the conversations that are happening yeah and I think we started we started with building a continuum of supports and then it it didn't really work well Right, like it was like a list of things that teachers do, but it was never really referred to after when we were having discussions because we didn't really know what its purpose was. So, I, like the strategies are there, and right now they're coming out organically. It's not looking at a list that was created a year, a year and a half ago. So, at some point, finding a like 
using that when the ideas come up in those in those collaborative team meetings, finding a way to like effectively put those onto the continuum so that it's an organic process as it happens, I think will be more effective than how we try to like, okay, let's make a list of everything we do and then try and figure out which tier it's supposed to be in. And then, okay, now we're done. So we're just going to walk, right? And then it doesn't get used because it just sits either on a wall or on a hard drive or whatever. And it, it right. So um, that's, I kind of, I think that's where we are working right now is trying to get that continuum of supports to be an organic piece, I think a tool, because we want to be able to build capacity in our building too, right? And that's kind of the purpose of that continuum of supports is to get that capacity building so that when you get your new grade two teacher or your new grade six teacher, these are some strategies we use in math that work for kids. So pick one. And if you don't know how to use that one, your grade partner does because they were here last year and the year before or whatever, right? So that's, I think that's the hope, um, but we, it's definitely, we got work, some work to do for sure. Well, and I think Aaron too, it, um, a, a couple of things. Um, one, I remember when I shared with you, Curtis had, had asked us, hey, is it okay if we, we borrow your continuum of supports? And do you remember your reaction? You're like, oh my God, really? I don't want anybody seeing that. It's, yeah, like, it's not that's terrible. Like, what? <laughs> so there was that, but for another school without the context of it, that, that might be where they're at. The second thing I, I wanted to just kind of reflect on is um, at the start of the year, of course, Curtis, as you know, you, you joined us in you know late August, beginning of September as our, our group of leaders. And you took us through the process, kind of revisiting the different steps of uh, collaborative response, you know, it was kind of an AP sheet kind of talking about the different roles as to why these are important roles within a CTM. And it was really great. It was cut. Well, it was literally a jigsaw activity with the hyperlinks within it. It, it impacted Aaron and I we were like, oh, boom, for sure. We need to run through this with our staff mm -hmm. at our first conversation together. And it really made an impact on the staff as to kind of why uh, some of these pieces are so important. And what the follow-up from that was, is as the staff kind of got together in their groups, they said, hey, I think we would like to have roll cards within our meetings. And I think we would like to try rotating role. And some of the things that maybe I wouldn't have predicted that they would have wanted to do, they absolutely embraced and were like, no, no, I think this is important. And I think we should try this. Uh, and so then, you know, we're, we're happy to try and incorporate some of those things within. And so, um, you know, we actually were able to make use of our roll cards within that last set of December uh, CTMs. And uh, I think it's, you know, you've got on the back kind of a reminder of what you're doing within that role. Mm -hmm. The real challenge will be when we start seeing, um, you know, team members say, hey, you know what I want to take on, I want to try facilitating a meeting. Uh, I want to try some of those, some, some of those other things. And me as a school leader, wanting to, you know, maintain that structure and control because I want it to work well, so then, you know, I have to be able to step back and, and try a different role within the meeting. So that's, that's what's really exciting as we head into our next round of meetings here in January and February. And I think a big win we had this year that we weren't expecting was when we find, so we made norms for our SST meetings and our thought was, well, we'll just kind of transfer them down into each group because they should be relatively the same. And um, when we actually reviewed the norms for the groups, they actually gave some pushback and changed norms, which to me means they're starting to value that part of the process, right? Yeah. Whereas a lot of times we'll get that norm discussion and people will kind of like brush it off and they're like, yeah. it's fine, we're professionals. Yeah. We don't need norms, we're professionals. Yeah, exactly. But this one, like, they're like, well, what does that norm mean? And we don't really like it and it doesn't really apply to us. So can we change, like, we should change it. I'm like, yes, we should change it. So all of our collaborative teams have slightly different sets of norms. So our like K to two team, their norm set is different than our three, four, five team, right? So each team has started to take some ownership over what those meetings look like and the structure. And even the fact that some of them are like, yeah, we can probably facilitate a meeting. We're all open to that. Right. So in our last set, we took the roll cards and we just kind of, I put them face down on the desks and they just kind of sat wherever. And some of them peaked and some of them didn't, but at least, right. Everybody was at least open to taking a bigger role in the meeting than Trevor and I kind of pushing and driving that meeting forward. So I think that's been a big win this year. One of the other things too, that, that pleasantly uh, surprised me, I had the opportunity to go out to Buck Mountain School and I know that you've, you've met with Nicole and, and, um, and Mike York um, talking with them. And I had the opportunity to take part in one of their collaborative team meetings on numeracy. Uh, and one of the things that they had embedded as part of their meetings is, um, you know, the pre-meeting organizer, they had decided as a 
group that actually, instead of trying to scramble and fill it out in advance before the meeting or after school or whatever, and the different pressures that different team members have, they embedded within their meeting, hey, we're going to look at our data, we're going to have this data set, but we're actually going to embed within our the start of our meeting time to complete the pre-meeting organizer right in there at the start. And so we put that forward to some of our groups and not every group decided the same. And we said, okay, well, we could make these meetings a smidge longer. They're actually maybe, well, this one meeting might be an hour every time because we're going to embed time to do that pre-meeting organizer right off the hop of the meeting. Uh, and just kind of quiet work time and other groups that actually no, that's not for me I got to uh, I need to pick up my child from care or whatever the day home and so it's kind of the ownership of the group within the meeting uh, it's really unique depending on each group and each one of our four collaborative team meetings has their own unique dynamic and it's it's really quite fascinating uh, to take in because that you know they have different areas that they're working in and the personalities are you know they all have their own uh, unique strengths. So it's really quite interesting. I really love that idea of, you know, we start with an understanding that is largely led by leadership and brought forward, but in time, the ownership becomes within the it room. Shifts. It, it shifts and evolves. And, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, when you talked about, you know, right now we're at a place of really trying to refine and we're working on that continuum of supports. I remember about this time last year, the conversation was we're really trying to work on our data and evidence and how do we bring that in because that's that's kind of a sticking point for us right now. So Aaron, I know that uh, I've seen the spreadsheets that have been developed within the school. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about how the data and evidence uh, has evolved within the school and how it's being used to inform which students and and the supports that we're bringing in and then even in time, how do we know if what we're doing is working, which is really important? Sure, um, it, and it's still evolving and changing because I don't, because we all, yeah, we all make little mistakes and wish we could do things better. So, but without having some kind of, even numerical data or some kind of something we could all look at, there was, I felt there was always this tension between identifying students that were almost successful or getting close to being successful or that needed that extra push and the kids that were, grade levels behind um, and needing more than just tier two support. Yeah. And so until, and then those CTM meetings would end up being that kind of, well, these kids are really struggling, but they're never here and they haven't been here for three years and they're intended, like all that stuff kept coming up without the, I'm like, and they were like, well, no, we can't talk about that kid. And then teachers would get frustrated because they tried to bring up a concern. And I just told them they can't bring up that concern. So really shifting and saying, okay, so for this meeting, we're gonna look at, so we'd use whether it was MIPI data or trying to use the STAR data. And part of it is like STAR data is relatively new to our school. And so even interpreting what that tool is trying to tell us mm -hmm. is, is work and there's pushback from teachers and it's good discussion so that we can actually get to a point where like, okay, so this is the part of the data that we can agree is useful. How can we use it to change practice? So that's, that's where we are probably at right now is you've been able to find some data sets that people can agree there's some value to them. And we're gonna look at a specific piece. So even in the MIPI, we're not gonna look at the MIPI final average. We're gonna look at, okay, these four questions on the, on the MIPI were all on place value. So, and these students didn't do well or didn't do as well as they could have on place value. They didn't get all of them wrong, but they got these ones that were maybe right at the end of say grade three. So they should know it by now because they're in grade four. Right, but it's just, it's not, they don't know any of it. They don't know just this part. So how are we gonna address this, especially when you go and try and start whatever the grade four outcomes are for place value. Before you start that, what can you address with your class, knowing that you're gonna target these two students, like all the class is gonna get the instruction, but you're really gonna look at these two students. How did they do after your, your tier two intervention? And really right. making sure that it's focused on, you know, a yellow student. We're not, you know, everyone worries about the students in red and of course we worry about them but yeah. we're we're really giving a name and a specific okay we're looking the measurement is based on how did this student do we're not just intervening just with this one student but these two yellow students we're going to measure after we've tried this and we're going to talk about this at this next meeting so did Jonathan, how did it end up being? You did your, your sprint, you did your activities that you said you're gonna do. What did it look like? How do, how do they do? And then that can kind of shape the conversation 
because those three other teachers, they also named a student who was struggling with that same uh, specific concept uh, or area of learning that we looked at. Instead of looking at a MIPI as a whole, we're kind of looking, okay, this time we're looking at this subsection. And that's what one of the pieces that I was able to glean from when I attended at Buck Mountain, you know, yeah, they, they're using MIPI as their tool, but they're actually looking really specifically just at this chunk of MIPI at that time. So Well, yeah. and I think then that's how it interconnects with your layers of team because we're not saying we're never going to look at a red. No, no, there's there's the right space for that That's conversation. Nice. And in our collaborative team meetings, can we focus on the students that will see the greatest impact from classroom-based adjustments and, and supports and interventions? And the irony of that is through doing that, I'm building my skill set. I'm building my toolbox that's going to have impact for all students, particularly our ones that are most at risk. It's it's just a and different way of thinking. We had a staff meeting earlier in the year talking about what we were going to do with the MIPI and which students we were going to focus on. And we did get some pushback from a couple of teachers. About, and they were like, well, what are these kids who are really struggling? And the like, we said, well, but you're going to change your classroom instruction. You're going to do something different. And yes, you're, you're looking at how it affects these students that are in yellow, but the whole class is there for the instruction. It's going to influence how the students in red, yellow, and even in green are going to understand that particular topic. So it's not that you're only focusing on those kids and just teaching those two kids that you brought up in the meeting. You're still teaching all the kids and they're all going to benefit or maybe they won't depending on what the strategy was. It's possible, right? But you're going to you're you're going to you're going to apply a strategy and all the students are going to experience that strategy and you'll be able to see if it was effective or not effective. And I thought that like it wasn't quite an aha moment, but it was close. And so I think Right. And even when it comes to collecting the data after I've left it kind of open and we've said, well, they're like, OK, how do you plan on how do you plan on showing whether or not the student met the goal of, of your of your intervention? So I'm not providing I'm not, if you want, I can provide a tool, but maybe it's just like a maybe you give three questions at the end of the class or at the end of the week. And the goal is and don't mark all the kids stuff. You just really want to look at the two kids you said you were focusing on. It's not it's not a whole bunch of new work. It's those two kids we're going to focus on check to see how they did on your, on your exit slip. And that's what you're gonna bring back to the next CTM meeting. Um, Curtis, at, at one of our early collaborative response, you know, sessions that we had as leaders, one of the things that you had mentioned has, has really kind of resonated with me uh, as a school leader is you talked about, you know, the real win for a school principal in having the collaborative response model is when you've got your CTMs, really what you're impacting is you're actually changing and improving tier one instruction using the lens like the the collaborative team meeting is actually getting teachers to reflect and grow and learn from each other uh it's actually that's your win and as you you kind of shift back it's not about a meeting it's about professional structured conversations and really being strength-based uh and it's really uh as you kind of keep that in your mind as you're, you know, working together with your, your admin team at the school, it's really quite uh, exciting. And I mean, we keep changing and growing and, you know, sometimes it seems like we're taking steps back. And I mean, honestly, this year we did, we stepped right back in September and early October as we went in and we just dedicated time to seeing, okay, if we're gonna meet together moving forward, what's the ways in which that's going to be effective and we want that buy-in and so you know it's not necessarily about um you know how you're doing it per se it's about the why you know so i i that's just really stuck with me and i don't know when you said it it might have been two years ago but that's just always been at the forefront for why collaborative response has been impactful so well and it's we often have schools when they first see that collaborative team meeting go oh yeah we talk about kids too we already do that but it's really just using the student to leverage a conversation about my practice and and in doing so it's creating vulnerability it's it's creating a space where I can say I'm not quite sure what to do with this particular key issue but when others say oh yeah I have two students that are also struggling with that as well okay well now what could we do and and it just opens the door to that that uh, conversation and we often say that when we can formalize and make that a really structured process it impacts the informal 
collaboration that happens in the school. The conversations start to sound differently when people are in the workroom, staff room, um, school. Can you speak to that? Have you seen any of that um, overflow into just the informal collaboration that's happening um, that's, that's not planned or structured within the building? Uh, I would say that like we've been as a school district, we've been wanting to really focus in on wellness uh, across our district. And I think if um, sometimes as administrators, if, if we're not careful or mindful, we can end up just adding tasks and it's, you know, becomes task overload. Um, so I, I think when the, the collective team, the collaborative team is meeting together and they're valuing what each other has to say, the conversation doesn't have to have a dark cloud over it. It can, you know, people are valuing their time. They want to get there on time. They want to, um, you know, work together uh, to try and problem solve. So, you know, again, it's still early on seemingly this year, even though it's now January, we haven't had as many meetings yet as we probably would have had in the past. But I think, um, you know, the pieces are there uh, for us to start to see some of some more of that momentum build. Well, and I think, and Trevor can correct me if I'm wrong, but we were, I think we were pretty dissatisfied with our collaborative team meetings last year. Like they were there, we tried to follow the structure, but it just, it didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel like we were getting um, from our teachers what we really wanted, which is why this year we really kind of, in September, we're like, well, what do we want these meetings to be about? And we use a lot of our collaborative team meeting time to kind of have that kind of open discussion with the teachers in the group and say, okay, how can we make this meeting something that's going to be valued? Because that's the thing that matters most. If, if teachers aren't valuing the meeting time, then it, it will be a waste of time regardless of the structure you put into it. So I think if I, had, if I had advice for other administrators, if you should plan on being dissatisfied with your first collaborative team meetings, they will not be what you want them to be. Because it's, it's, there's a learning curve to it. And it's, 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 it's a little steep, but I think there's a value in going through it as opposed to going through three or four and saying, nope, this isn't for us. You need to go through, you need to see what the structure feels like, you kind of need to see where the pitfalls are. Because for each of our groups, it's different, right? Like the, 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 the strengths and, and areas of growth in our, in our key to two team are different than they are in our three, four team or in our five, six team, right? So trying to teach each group as being the same was probably, was, was it a mistake? It was a mistake, right? We made a mistake in thinking that each team is gonna, like, these are the steps, this is the structure, we're gonna be fine. But you know what, these, the, the pedagogy of this group, they're phenomenal, their tier two is great. In fact, when it comes to having discussions about what students need tier two support, it, they don't even know how to have the conversation because it, it's almost natural to them, they don't see it as tier two support. Whereas in a different group, it's, this is the curriculum, we need to stick to the curriculum. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if you stick to the curriculum because the kids aren't learning it yet because we haven't figured out how to, right? So each group is gonna have its own, different supports needed for each group. And so learning what that support is going to be and how you're gonna structure your collaborative team meetings takes some time. Yeah, it, I mean- it, But it's worthwhile, I think. I think we're, we still got work to do, but it's it's a process that I'm invested in for sure. I, I appreciate, um, what Aaron just shared there, because it is true, like the amount of reflection and conversation that that we have together um, in terms of how do how did that go? Like, what do you think? Like, man, like there's some painful parts there. Like, you know, there's some times where it's just silence, and that, like it's like wow, like so. But then us as as leaders, where you know we take that, you know, a lot of ownership in terms of you know why isn't it working or what can we do better? What can we try? And, uh, and so I, I definitely appreciate the, the grace and patience that staff has shown as we've tried to adapt and try to, um, you know, make things better um, as we're growing, because you don't want to, you know, have anyone leaving going like, man, that was a waste of time. Like, wow, <laughs> like, right. Like that's your, your biggest fear. Cause I think every, professional has been has sat at some point in their career through a staff meeting like man oh man I just like why am I here and so that you know when it's your staff that's saying that and you are the person who called the meeting like that is uh you know you don't want to waste anyone's time so you want when you're getting that high highly skilled team uh together it it's it's got to be effective and there's got to be buy-in so yeah and we've been really I 
we've been pretty open with our staff about, you know what, if there's criticism, please bring it forward. Like, mm-hmm. and our, I remember our very first CTM meeting with, and we did get that. That's not what that meeting was about. Like you said, this is going to happen. And that's not what happened at all. We're like, well, okay, we're going we're gonna to change things up a little bit. You're right. Absolutely right. Uh, that's not, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, and we've had a couple, you know, kind of unique situations where we we ended up having a couple, you know, like Claire Vista and Gwen School joined together. And so you're bringing in two different staff and two different, um, you know, historical, you know, uh, stories that are blending together where you've got combined grades together, you've got small school, you've got larger school, and as teams kind of just, so there's been like a number of different things where um, staff are forced to you know, be responsive and adaptive and, you know, and, you know, it it does definitely wear on different teammates when you're um, called together to meet in unique circumstances and everyone's just trying to do their best. So, I mean, even again, this year where we've, you know, I've, I left the school for a month and Aaron, you know, was, was principal here. So like, there's, there's different situations, of course, that always evolve. And uh, I think it, it just ends up making the overall team stronger because you, you build and you learn from each other. So. Well, I want to shift just a little bit on that idea of learning and evolving, because I know that one of the um, things that you've been trying to implement as well is that idea of how do we provide interventions? When does that happen? And I know Jen's ears perked up when she heard numeracy interventions and plan that uh, our listeners definitely know that that's a passion area for Jen. So I'm going to turn it to her to ask some questions in regards to your numeracy intervention program. So you've talked a little bit about the data that you've been collecting in the spreadsheets through the MIPI and your star. And so, and you, and I heard the word sprint. So elaborate for me, what's a sprint? How does it come about? Who's, who's doing what, when? So the idea is we're going we're gonna to collect some data, find out, and this would be mostly for our students. So our sprints are, are definitely focused at our students that are uh, requiring extra support. So like pull-out groups um, out of it, right? So, but we don't want kids out of class forever. Like if you pull a kid out of class in September because they're behind and they're still pulled out of class for the same block of time every day in June, you're not doing it right. That's right? They either need to be in a a specialized program or you need to change what you're doing because you haven't helped them. So, and you need to know that before the end of the year. So the idea is we collect, right? We use some data piece to collect some information on some students, where they're at, and then those students that are in red, we set a specific goal on a specific skill. So it's not, um, um, the goals that we stay away from are, uh, they need more basic facts, or they need to learn their times table. Like, that's not the purpose of our pull-out group. if, if it's year three and you're still saying they need to learn their times tables, that you, that's not an intervention anymore, right? They need, it, they need a different support. So it's being really specific about, okay, so they, um, they need, this student needs practice on regrouping. Uh, we're gonna spend two weeks focusing on regrouping and we should probably have a different instructional tool for that skill as well. Because if you just have them learn it the same way they were supposed to learn it in class, you're probably gonna get the same result. So it's, and it's, and, it sounds really good and we're still working on it and it's by nowhere near perfect, but that's the kind of path we're on. So every, we, we try and set like a 14 working day schedule, right? So three, about three of our um, four day cycles and then a couple of days to look at data um, where we say, these kids are in this group for this set of time. This is the skill, this is the person they're working with. Um, and at the end of that um, period, we're going to retest them with something right on the same skill and see if there was growth because if there was growth they don't need to be in that sprint anymore if there isn't growth um or maybe there was maybe there was some growth but not enough to actually say they're ready to be um they, they had that skill mastered okay so now we're going to have them in, a, in another sprint where they get to practice on this more specific part like the idea is we want to know exactly what they're missing so we can address that skill as opposed to they just don't get, or they're not like my, when I hear that kids aren't math kids, it drives me nuts because that's not a thing, right? So let's not, let's just say they can't do it, right? Let's, <laughs> which skill are they struggling with and how can we support them to learn it? That's the goal of our sprints. Aaron, one so, of the things that I appreciate about, um, you know, kind of the leadership that you've shown as you've, as you've come to Clear Vista is you've really, 
done a great job of challenging our team to have in place a pre and a post. Like when we're heading into an intervention group, we will have a pre-test. And if we can't make it as individuals, then you know what? You know, we'll get the support to do it. Most of the time it ends up being Aaron is willing and he's offering up, hey, I'll, I'll design a quick pre-test. And, you know, Aaron is a, a, a phenomenal math teacher uh, and he hates when I say that. So I love saying it because it's true, but he's just humble and he won't admit it. Um, and so one of the things that um, we were able to put together is because of our data collection last year, we were able to kind of share back to here's why data matters because we could take from some of our sprints that we did in grade two and grade three uh, through learning loss and we were able to say like wow here's where this group of students was and we all we within our school we know the names of the kids and we could look at okay here's how they did on uh, the MIPI here's how they did on this pretest this post test here's how they did on our WRPS common math final and we could kind of show here's all of the data together and here's kind of what it looks like and here's why. And we were able to show that when you have intervention groups that have a common purpose, not just the intervention group purposes, well, the kid's probably behind, um, but they're behind specifically in this and this is what we're gonna work on. Uh, I think that Aaron did a phenomenal job leading in terms of just having what the data measures are going to be and the kind of that follow through. So using a sprint template with here's our goal, here's our strategies and action steps, who's responsible, what's the timeline, and how are we going to know that we are successful? Just kind of following that sprint model. So Aaron will never admit uh, that that he uh, did a phenomenal job in that, but uh, it, it's really oh, quite And it's never at where we want it to be either because there's been there's always things that are going to slow down the pace of how quickly you want to get things done. So especially like this year at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of people out because of sickness, right? There's like three viruses going around. And so like you have teachers missing and kids missing. And so even trying to collect the data in a way that feels timely is sometimes tough to do. But the other part is like our first real numeracy sprint is starting this week, even though I would have rather it started in November, but it wasn't just meant to be, but it's not, Right, so we're not giving up on those sprints. It's just okay. This we we finally had a spot where we have people ready to do it, and we know which kids are going to be. To, and is it unfortunate that it's two months behind? Sure, but we're still going to do it and go through that process because it's a good process. And next September we're going to start. Like we're going to try it again because we saw results last year, right? So right. restarting or changing. Um, intervention schemes or plans or doing the new thing because the last thing didn't work the first time through is is not an effective way to do things right well so I, we want to do something we want to learn from mistakes and then we want to try it again and Aaron I think by by nature you know all of our educational assistants and our teachers within the school they all I mean they're they're getting up every morning because they want to help and they want to impact students and they're really good at what they do so of course, they want to just hit the ground running. Like, how quickly can we get started? We need to intervene. We need to get going now. So, you know, when we put some parameters around what that might and could look like, sometimes that, that can kind of be faced with a little bit of resistance because it's like, you know, Trevor, Aaron, what's wrong with you guys? Like, you got to intervene. Like, right now, we got to get going. And it's not saying that we don't do that, but it's just when we're trying to frame it within that lens uh, so that we can kind of you know, see what's effective and uh, really dial in for, for moving forward in the future as to what is working well, what is actually needed. Uh, it's more than just number sense. It's a little bit, we can drill down a bit more with that. And I mean, we started doing sprints last year and one of the first things, and we had some teachers leading some of the sprints and one of their first concerns was, well, well what happens if it doesn't go well? What does that say about me? I'm like, no, this isn't about whether, this isn't about this isn't about your teaching, it's about their learning. We want to see if what they're learning and if it was effective. And if it wasn't, we'll adapt. It's right. And I, I had a teacher come to me and say, Well, this one student, they've missed like four days and they're like way behind everybody else. But or it was the or the sprint was aimed at it, it started off, it was a it was a literacy sprint. I want to say it started off with learning um and my my uh my uh Div one uh, literacy vocabulary is not very good. Um, being a math, but it was they were like it was about letter blends or something, right? So they were supposed to be learning letter blends, and like the group was like 
a group of, they were already identified as being way below letter blends. It was they're learning letter names and individual letters. And it's like, like, but my, they're not gonna, they're not gonna pass that post-test. I'm like, that's okay, right? We know, we already said the post-test was gonna be this and they're gonna do that. And we're gonna see how much growth there was. Maybe they got two out of 10 or two out of 20 the first time through. And maybe they're getting six out of 20 the next time through. And that's okay. It shows that they have, there was growth. And yes, they're still going to get more intervention. Um, it's just, we don't change the post-test just because we think the kids didn't learn the stuff that defeats the purpose of it. I'm sure our audience has a ton of questions for you guys around who's in your groups, are they multi-graded, how many kids, what are your things? So your contact information will be in the description of this episode. This, you, yeah, you can redirect all the questions to Trevor, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> My email address is erin.weimer. But I, I, you two are incredibly reflective educational leaders. You can tell that it comes through in the conversations that you're having and, and just the way you describe the process. So I have a question for you. This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. If you could go back to your past self who was just starting the implementation of collaborative response, what advice would you give yourself? probably slow down like it you have to go slow and um you know I'm a, a a competitive person and I want you know my school to be reflected well I want my team to be reflected well and so sometimes you know you want to to show progress um but maybe in in the desire to move really fast you're ending up having to circle back and and that's okay. Um, so I would say just going slow because you know the learning is through the process of it. Um, you know, we kind of want to just um, say, well, that school has that and we'll just kind of take that piece and we'll just do that. Well, the reason why it works for that school is because of the process that the, the journey that they took together to make it there. Um, and so I think in the long run, uh, taking things slowly, um, you're going to, you know, uh, to get more uh, beneficial results by, by actually just slowing it down. Uh, and so that's been a, a lifelong challenge for myself. Like I want to just, let's just go, but like, let's, uh, let's finish the project properly. Um, perhaps my wife would, would have some thoughts on that as we've gone. Erin, <laughs> what advice are you giving yourself? Um, I think you have to be okay with setbacks. I think that's the biggest thing, right? You don't like, nothing is going to go as smooth, as smoothly as you want the first time through and you are going to make mistakes. It's unfortunate, but true mistakes happen. Um, but, and just like, and so patience and perseverance and just, um, knowing that, uh, it, it's going to take some work to get it done. Right. But the goal is lasting change, not, um, not that kind of the, there's no easy fix there's no instant way to change things that you want improvement with and also like we're looking at it's it's small steps of progress too that make a that make a big change we're not looking for a massive change right now teachers do a good job with the students in their classroom like that's not the purpose of in implementing clever response it isn't to make uh terrible teachers better it's it's a way of supporting staff and our staff they already do a great job our teachers do a great job our eas do a great job um, they are invested in seeing students learn and we're just wanting to help them. So that's really making like, so you don't have to go fast. Right. Well, and I've said through this work as well, that is it going to mean less work for our individuals in the building? No, probably not. Everyone like Trevor, when you said, you know, people wake up and they want to make a difference and and by very nature in this profession, we work hard because we want to see students succeed. Yeah. So we're probably not going to reduce the workload, but what we are going to do is increase the impact of that, that work. And when we can see 
more students having success due to our efforts, that's that's really, really gratifying for us, I think, and, and understanding that, that that doesn't happen with quick fixes and it doesn't happen with assumptions of of less than impactful process or 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 practice. It comes from assuming good things are happening and how do we really leverage those effectively to to collaboratively respond to the needs of our students. If there's an effective instructional practice, having each teacher find it on their own isn't the most effective use of our time, right? Like if there's something that's a gem in terms of how to instruct and it's and it, and it really works, especially helping those kids that need some extra support, sharing that out in your staff as quickly as possible so others can try it is the best way to support students as opposed to me trying eight things before I get to that one thing that I could have learned from my neighbor yeah. years ago, right? Well, gentlemen, I know your students are probably missing you in your hallways so that you can go <laughs> greet them. Uh, Trevor, I always enjoy talking to you because you speak so eloquently about collaborative response and your understanding is incredibly deep. It's very nice to be reconnected with Aaron because it's been a number of years. So it's exciting to, to know that former colleagues as students are now experiencing success as educational leaders. So that's been great. So thank you very much both for your time. And we look forward to hearing more stories from Clear Vista School. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. I absolutely love, and it's come now in two different conversations that we've had with the educational leaders in Wetaskiwin Regional of understanding the idea of it's a process mm -hmm. and that it's ongoing. I love when Aaron said, it's never going to be at where you want it to be. There's mm -hmm. always going to be that next refinement, that next step. And when he said, expect to be dissatisfied boy that's that's some really powerful advice for people especially starting off on this journey to understand that don't expect perfection especially when you're starting out yeah. expect that there's going to be bumps it's a messy it's a journey and you learn through the process that that really came out from Trevor and Aaron, I think. Yeah, and that dissatisfaction, like the way that he <laughs> stated, you'd expect to be dissatisfied. Yeah, but, that. but that idea of being dissatisfied in the in the initial work comes from that fact that sometimes we jump into this work through activity. So it's through um, the activity of designing your initial continuum of supports, which he also talked about being yeah. dissatisfied with. And, uh, and the activity of creating your meeting time, and this is the structure of your meeting, and here are the roles. Like that activity piece is... Uh, it's always the first step for people. It's, it's mm -hmm. usually where they begin, but not truly understanding the why behind it. And why do we have roles? And, and why time. do we develop that continuum? And why do we uh, continue to revise and uh, adapt that continuum? That only comes when you begin to understand the why of what we're doing through collaborative response. And I think coming from Aaron and Trevor, as well as Mike and Nicole, that notion of shared ownership. Mm -hmm. So they talked about guiding coalitions at the district level. They talked about how they're establishing feedback from their staff of, you know, going through the process and, you know, being willing to accept that that isn't what you said this meeting was going to do, right? So, okay. so allowing people to buy into the process through that feedback 
and then sharing the ownership of that through those roles, through the development of the norms, through the refinement of those norms, because they are not set in stone, I think brings people to that place of this really is about our learning and our students. Yeah. And you know what, Jen, even through that too, is, is nurturing that growth mindset. I, I could hear that Absolutely. in every conversation that they were having, whether it was about a student or whether it's about staff or even their own leadership or the that, process itself. Yeah, absolutely. Just really focusing in on, you know, how do we identify growth and how do we take those next steps to grow in our learning, but for students as well. And Jen, we've talked about this before too, of the fidelity of the process and people when they first come in saying, well, I like this piece, but I don't like this. This seems a little awkward or this will be an easy sell on my staff, but this other piece I don't really want to do because I think it's going to be a little bit disruptive, mm -hmm. but they talked right off the start about we, we wanted to have fidelity to the process. We wanted to set up those four layers the way they were described, and then know that we can make adjustments, we can make refinements. Um, but the idea, and I think it was Trevor that said, we can't just take something from another school and plop it in to our environment, because the reason that's working there is because of the process that they went through in the design. So I, I love the understanding that there's, there's a fidelity to the process of collaborative response and you can't, I think it was Mike York from Buck Mountain that had said, you can't take shortcuts within it. You, you have to live through it. And then as Trevor said, you know, understanding that you may have to live through that slowly, slow down and, and understand the process and the learning. Even though they talk about their sprints, this work is not a sprint. The <laughs> <laughs> no. sprints are a smaller part of a marathon because it's about yeah. lasting change. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, another another thing that really stood out to me in this conversation was their very intentional and purposeful use of data. Yes. And how they are looking at not, you know, not just averages, not just the the global understanding of what they're gathering through that data, but very specific uh, strategies getting digging right down to very specific strategies and the needs of students around um, very uh, even minute skills mm -hmm. that they're using then to drive their uh, intervention time. But wasn't that just readily apparent, the mm. idea that our data, especially when they talked about the color coding yeah. of it, how it can then inform their different layers of conversation mm. that they have. And when you introduce the data, now it can start a different conversation instead of it's every time we come together, it's the same student surfacing mm -hmm. over and over who, who does need complex support, well, that actually belongs within this layer yeah. that we've built in our collaborative structures and processes. And I think about, um, and, and we often, when we start to talk about those four layers of teams, we talk about how uh, most often schools will have uh, teams that are coming together to look at curriculum and their classroom practice yeah, at that tier one. Collaborative plan. And those more complex students and those more the crisis situations we have tons of support around our school support team and our case consult but without having our collaborative team meetings and the focus on students who are falling within that yellow we have a very big gap and we are having students fall through we we don't have a team if we don't have that collaborative team meeting to attend to the needs of students who are just slightly below and, and using the data to identify yeah. those students. And then using that conversation to really build upon practice and share pedagogy and, yeah. and really look at, so what can we do before that student slips further and now it is a crisis or it is a, a complex conversation that's in a sense, we've almost helped create. Well, and this... And this comes directly back to our, our statement 
of every child deserves a team. Mm -hmm. And without those collaborative team meetings and without the identification of students who fall within that yellow category, we don't have student, we don't have a team for every child. No. Collaborative response is that connection between PLCs and RTI. Mm -hmm. I'm going to borrow what Aaron said about the idea of impacting instructional practice by focusing on the data. If we are looking at what supports we can put in place for those students at the yellow, we're actually going to be positively impacting students in the red as well as mm -hmm. we change our instructional practice. That Absolutely. focus on the fidelity of the meetings at the different layers and the fidelity of their interventions with the pre-assessment, the post-assessment as part of their sprints. The, there is integrity in the work that they are doing. Going into that with that growth mindset and desire for shared ownership, that vulnerability of recognizing that we're going to make mistakes and that's okay because that's how we learn. Yeah. And being forthright with that right off with our staff. And actually so we powerful. learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we absolutely do. So thank you both for summarizing that with me. <laughs> I love these conversations and it was yeah, so nice absolutely. to reconnect with someone I went to school with. <laughs> That's, That's cool. <laughs> excellent. All right. Well, we'll look forward to the next opportunity that we have to put the pieces together with, with other school leaders and continue this rich learning. Thank you so much for all your coordination, Jen. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again for more conversations about establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response.